If you have a Bible, you can open up to Daniel chapter 3, and we are going to be in Daniel chapter 3 today. Um, if you would, stand with me. Uh, again, this is like last week, where last week was kind of long, so I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'll go through it. But there's one little section that I want to read together corporately. So stand with me, if you would. Uh, I'm going to read this small little section. We're going to read 13, um, chapter 3, I'm sorry, thir- chapter 3, 16, 17, and 18 out loud. Um, and then I'll pray. So starting at verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, this morning as we look to your word that you would fill us with the Spirit so that we can um, understand what you're um, showing us this morning. But more than anything, Lord, I pray that you would help us see uh, Christ in the text, that we would rejoice in the good news of the gospel, that Christ has died for us, and that we are now righteous before you because of Jesus. Um, I pray that as we look at Old Testament narrative where it's easy, easy to uh, have um, commandments to obey, that we would not be overwhelmed by that, that we would rejoice in the good news of the gospel, and that we would uh, want to leave here rejoicing for what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in uh, Daniel chapter 3. And to summarize, uh, to maybe in, in a challenge form, you just think of Daniel chapter 3 this way. Um, I would rather die than be an idolater. Think about that for yourself. Is this a sentence you can say for yourself? I would rather die than to be an idolater. That's what's going on with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, They would rather die than to be an idolater. Idolatry is the key to this chapter. It's uh, the first commandment uh, to have no other gods or to have before me or no other gods except me uh, is is Daniel chapter 3. Are they going to obey the first commandment? Or are they not? It's the crux of Daniel chapter 3. And it's asking us, are we going to obey the first commandment? And you may say, no problem. Don't have any little, little statues built around my house. Don't ever bow down to those things. Uh, I'm good. Um, let's put it into more of a contemporary application. Um, an idol is anything that you, that it can be good or bad or neutral, that you place in your heart over Christ. Um, anything, good, bad, or neutral that you start worshiping over Jesus. So now back to the question where we're all, okay, maybe, maybe I am guilty here. That's what's going on in Daniel chapter 3. Now, um, I want to re- remind you of a couple things that happened last week because it's important. Uh, so in, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, if you remember, the king had a dream. And when he had a dream, uh, he had this statue in mind and Daniel came and interpreted it. So I, want you, I have the statue from last week so you can make sure you, you know what's going on. It's going to help. So this was his dream. And basically, Daniel said, the head of the statue represents you right now, king. But you're going to be taken over. You're, you're going to be destroyed. And he's right. Uh, you're going to be destroyed. And the next uh, kingdom that comes in, which we know is Persia, is going to be this, this chest and arms of silver. And then, but somebody's going to take over them. You can see it's ancient Greece, and that's the, the stomach area of bronze. But somebody's going to take over them. That's Rome, and that's the legs. Um, but then the feet and, 
uh, is made out of iron slash clay. They're not going to be so strong. They're going to be divided. The rock's going to come in and destroy them. The statue's going to get, you know. But the king heard this, right? The king knew, okay, I'm the gold. I'm the gold and I'm the head and people are going to come after me and they're going to take over me. Um, and whenever that happens, um, you know, Babylon's over. And so here we are in chapter three. I, if you weren't here, I wanted to make sure you knew the king had this interpretation. And so he knows that he's the head. All right. So verse one. Uh, and by the way, um, this we've talked about several times. Daniel uh, it has a lot of chiastic structures. That's, that's the mountaintop thing. And so uh, this chapter is in a chiasm as well. And so remember the, the pinpoint or the whenever you have, and you'll see it up here, but whenever you come to the chiasm, whatever is at the end is the most important, which is what I read. So the theme or the hinge or the theological punch of chapter 3 is verses 16, 17, 18. The declaration of the three to the king. No matter what happens, we're not going to serve your king. God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your, your, your gods. It's, that's that's kind of the, uh, the pinpoint or the theological hinge. Can you turn the house lights up a little bit for me? I like it brighter in here. I'm sorry. I'm getting blind in my old age. I need, I need light to read. All right, here we go. So, of course he did. Because what happened in chapter 2? Um, he was told this. So you can go ahead and uh, put up number one. Uh, we're going to see the chiasm. I've even alliterated it for you. I've tried to bold uh, the, the, the C words here. But here's the confrontation with idolatry. So, but let's look at this first. Of course he did. He made it. Like, this is like he's 16 years later from, from chapter 2 to chapter 3. There's some textual evidence from what's known as the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament that likely about 16 years had passed. So some time had passed. And so he'd probably forgotten his declaration in chapter 2, verse 47. He said, truly to, to Daniel, your God is the God of God and the Lord of Lords, a reveal of mysteries. And so, you know, time went on where he's, you know, the most popular person and the strongest person in the world at the time. And so he forgot. And so he says, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. So uh, likely what he's doing here, it's 60, I'm sorry, 30 yards tall. When you're reading this, whose height was 60 cubits and his breadth six, six cubits. So it's 30 yards tall and three, six yards wide. I mean, just a gargantuan monstrosity. Uh, and it's trying to show everybody, I'm dominating here. And so, but he makes likely, uh, well, we don't have any more, but he makes likely an image of what we saw. And in other words, what he's saying is um, he's rebelling against what was told to him in chapter two, where the great image said, you're the gold, but nothing else. He's putting the entire thing as gold, representing I'm not going to lose power. I'm going to be in power the entire time. The whole thing's me. I'm never going to get destroyed. So he's basically a narcissist. And so uh, whenever he knows that He's going to be destroyed. He's rebelling against the word or the revelation from God and basically saying, no other king comes after me. I'm in charge. My kingdom goes on forever. Uh, I don't like your word, God. And so I'm going to be the one that's going to have a kingdom forever. So I'm going to make, just to let you know and let everybody know, I'm going to build an entire statue made of gold so it represents that I'm never, ever going to you know, get destroyed. Sinclair Ferguson says, Nebuchadnezzar's resisted God's revelation and the image he commissioned symbolized a desire to show that no kingdom would ever destroy his, not even the kingdom of God. Not, not the smart way to go. So here we go. Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. That's about 30 yards. And its breadth, uh, six cubits. I'm pretty sure that's three yards. And it, you're going to see this word, set it up, set it up. This set it up is over and over and over and over repeated um, and at least in the first 18 verses, uh, and the writer, Daniel, is wanting us to see, like, this is an idol. 
set up or made. This is something created by man, set up by man. He even says Nebuchadnezzar made an image right there. And then he's going to say set up, set up, set up, set up. Anytime writers use repetition, they're trying to, trying to show you this is something important. Uh, and the point is, who worships something made by man or set up by man? We, we don't worship created things. We worship the creator. And so th- th- that's what the point that he's trying to make. So he set it up on the plain of Dura, you know, Hello Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. Uh, the point that was there is they, uh, they're wanting to make a name for themselves in Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. And he's wanting to make a name for himself. Same problem, uh, different people. And then it says, uh, in the proverb, in the province of Babylon, and then the king is going to, he's going to gather, as we say down south, everybody. This is what he does in verse 2. Then the king said to send the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There it is again, over and over, set up. Uh, and then the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and magistrates and the officials um, of the province gathered for the dedication of the king that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and the herald proclaimed out loud, you are commanded. So here it is. This is the king's decree here. The king's decree. Everyone is commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you're to fall down and worship. Fall down and worship is also repeated, repeated, repeated. Um, the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. That's terrible, right? Um, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, uh, one writer says uh, the reason why Daniel's basically giving you every instrument of the, the orchestra is he's, he's writing with some sarcasm. He's trying to make this help you see just how ridiculous this thing is. He lists out all the people. He lists out the entire orchestra just to try to, like the writer's like, this guy's ridiculous. What a narcissist. He's got everything here. Um, and so therefore, as soon as the people hear the sound of the horn of all these things, uh, then and all the language, they'll fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar, there it is again, has set up. And so um, as we read that first section, there's the king's decree. Everybody's coming from all over and everybody has to worship this thing that I've set up. You, you will do it. And if you don't do it, you die. We're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And so idolatry is being pushed onto them. And we're seeing, we're seeing like they're seeing, what's going to be our resolution in our heart? Even if it kills me, and it might, it definitely might. So there's great authority. And he tells them that they're commanded to fall down and worship. So there's great authority from king, and there's great pressure by all of these people that are there for these three um, to fall down and become idolaters. Now, there's no Daniel here. I don't know why there's no Daniel, uh, but Daniel's not mentioned. It's just the three here. Uh, possibly, this is just my guess. I didn't read this anywhere. Possibly because of, remember, chapters 2 through 7 are in a little bit of a chiastic structure. And so in, in chapter 3, we have these three not going into, the fire, going into the fiery furnace and surviving. And then we have Daniel in the lion's den. And those two chapters mirror each other uh, in the chiasm. And so maybe Daniel's on one side and the three on the other. Total guess. Who knows? Um, so anyway, back to 1 through 7. Um, and so you have this continual pushing on for them to become idolaters. But the way the idolatry was being pushed on them is societal kind of conformity. Like, look, everyone else is doing it. You're going to die if you don't. So fear of death, sure. But conformity, when the orchestra kicks in, everybody conform. 
everybody fall down and worship to the idolatry of the day. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 tells us something different. As Christians, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the conformity aspect of since everyone is doing it, and they could have rationalized in their mind here, well, we can be stronger witnesses if we just conform to this small little thing. It's not a big deal for us. But if we do this, we won't get killed and we'll have more influence later on here. And so let's just tweak this one. We won't even mean it whenever we do it. We'll still just think about, you know, Yahweh and it'll just be for him, not for us. And, but they don't, right? They resolve in their mind that they're not going to do that. So an application point looking at here as they're being confronted with this idolatry and the confrontations by this kind of subtle, seductive conformity. The world is, if we're looking at it for us, the world is tempting us also to leave the word of God, to leave the way that the Lord has told us uh, that he's the only way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through him, that this is how uh, proper forms of worship are to be conducted. This is what uh, the word of God says in regard to sin. And the, wor- the world's constantly pushing us and tempting us to conform, to be like it, to continually have our love of God, our worship of God, our hatred of sin, small little ways be chipped away little by little. It's usually not huge. It's subtle. It's conformity like this. And so um, because we don't want to rock the boat or we don't want to be looked at as weird or we don't want to get asked uh, why something so small to us uh, is such a big deal that conforming to this little thing should bother us, we'll stay quiet. We won't say anything. And we will conform sometimes, hopefully not, little by little as we start looking at the look liking, looking like the world rather than the church. And so whenever we're confronted with um, any kind of idolatry like this or conforming into what looks like the world, the church, when, while these conformities can be seductive, they can be subtle, we should resolve to know the word of God and not break the first commandment or not uh, move away into idolatry. Resolve in your mind whenever we're confronted with idolatry in this world, that we know the word of God, we love Christ, and we're not going to look like them. We're not going to let them chip away at what we really believe that the scriptures teach. Um, and th- that's multifaceted. It's not just that Christ is the only way, but it's also that uh, just give in to sin in this particular way, or the word of God doesn't really say that anymore. It's different now. Um, but as we're being pushed, uh, and we have even commands, you know, the king's command in this as we even have uh, instances where our government may say, conform to us. Whatever the word of God says is, is what it is, and I'm not going to. Um, so might not happen in our lifetime, but it might. If you read Revelation, there's no America. So we're going down sometime. That's the truth. That's why this isn't our home. Um, anyway, so that's the first thing that we see. Now, the next thing that we see is in section 8 through uh, 12. And so at first we have the king's decree, but now you can go into number two uh, is the accusation. They're going to be criticized. So you've got mainly the Chaldeans that are going to criticize them here. So let's look at verse 8 because they're not going to do it. So you have, therefore, at a certain time, the Chaldeans came forward and Hebrew idiom. An idiom is like it's raining cats and dogs. It's like it's not actually raining cats and dogs. And if someone came from another country who never had spoke English and we say it's raining cats and dogs, they would be like, it's raining cats and what? Like that's an idiom. It's just a saying that we have in our language. And so Hebrew has those as well. Uh, and so there, this is maliciously accused. It's more been uh, moved into what an English way. But it's literally um, 
they ate their pieces. It's literally they ate their pieces. Uh, um, wait, it's like they sank their teeth into them. That this is how angry these people, seething these Chaldeans were at the three. They literally ate their pieces or sank their teeth into them. Uh, they were so, so angry with them. They're basically stabbing them in the back, the Chaldeans, the ingrates. Because if you remember in chapter 2, Daniel saved the lives of the Chaldeans by interpreting the dreams. You know, I can interpret the dream, king, and you don't have to kill the Chaldeans or any of, you know, of the wise men. Uh, and the Chaldeans were part of that. And so the, the, the Chaldeans are a little bit jealous here. We'll, we'll point out why. So at a certain time, the Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Same thing as 2-4. Um, you, O king, you have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, the lyre, da, 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 shall bow down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the burning fire furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed, and there it is, verse 12. This is, this is why the Chaldeans are stabbing the three in the back. There are certain Jews who you appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Look with me up to 249. Remember when Daniel uh, saved the lives of everybody and, and gave the interpretation. Look at 249. What's that little tag there at the very end? It's, it seems so inconsequential, but it's not. Daniel made a request of the king that he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And so Daniel is in the king's court, but the three got a promotion. And so what did the Chaldeans do? They stewed for 16 years that they didn't get this promotion and that those three did. And so they're jealous. And so at any moment, 16 years, the ingrates are finally going to stab them in the back here because they say, oh, they're not worshiping. I wanted that promotion 16 years ago that they got. And so they're not worshiping. Kill them. Throw them in the fiery furnace. All right. So back to verse 12. And a certain Jews you appointed, um, appointed over the, the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three, O king, um, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have. There it is again, set up. And so uh, they're being criticized. They're being criticized. The accusation from the Chaldeans, criticized. They're not worshiping. They're not becoming idolaters. And so um, jealousy has reared its ugly head on these three, which is pitiful that, to be that jealous. And so uh, if we're looking at this little section for an application, we can look at it in kind of a two-pronged or two-fold. Don't be jealous, people. Um, jealousy will destroy our hearts. It makes us ungrateful for things. Christians, because we've been saved by Christ, should, I say this all the time, should be the most grateful people there are, not uh, ungrateful. We should be the most grateful. We've been saved by Christ. What, what, what further is there, right? We should be very, very happy, grateful people. Um, but on the other side, if we're thinking like the three, um, what do we do when we're criticized for being a Christian? What do we do? How do we respond what is the way that we respond? If it hasn't happened yet, criticism for following Christ, um, it might. Um, but if it hasn't happened to you for believing antiquated you know, beliefs or uh, I can't believe you believe this old book or whatever. You know, criticism for being a Christian. Can't believe you say, are you going to respond in a way that's, that's going to hold to truth or not? But, but also, let me just make sure I note response the response has to be Christ-like. The response to criticism cannot be, well, I mean, you're just wrong. You're, you're just dumb. I know, the, I know, I know it and you don't. <laughs> that doesn't, that's not winsome, right? So please note, uh, we don't respond to criticism in a belligerent way. Um, Christians resolve to stay true to Christ 
but they also resolve to resemble Christ. And so we have to respond in a loving, caring, winsome way. Just think, if Christ, when Christ was criticized, read the Gospels. When Christ is criticized, how does he respond? That's the way in which we're to respond. We've been saved by Christ. We are his uh, servants. He's our master. And so we live accordingly. You know, that's, that's the point of John 13 when he washed their feet. Like, if your master has washed these people's feet, these people, your feet, how are you supposed to go live? Well, we're supposed to be like him. So when criticism comes, make sure we stand strong, but also make sure we respond like him. All right, this brings us to our next one. You can go ahead and put up number three. I don't know if y'all can see this or not. Hopefully you can. Opportunity. Here's the challenge to be faithful. So now we're getting to the challenge. So uh, this 13, and I'll, I'll point out why, this, why there's a chiastic structure. Chiastic means um, whenever the, the first one and the last one, they're very similar. So here we'll see uh, how they're similar here. If you look at in verse 13, uh, then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage uh, if you see the word furious rage there, and then look over at 19, the Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And so when we're going back down on three prime, the, the filled with fury part is, is the, uh, how they're similar. You'll see what I'm saying. The Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered, and he said to them, is it true? There it is. We get that all the time. I get that all the time. Is it true that you as a Christian really think this, fill in the blank. Is it true, O Shadrach, Matreshach, and Abednego, that, if you, uh, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigger, and the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship um, the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Remember, he thinks, I mean, he is a megalomaniac. He's a complete narcissist. He really thinks he's the strong, strongest person in the world. Who's going to deliver you out of my hands? Um, hello, dude, 247. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the God, the one that you said, truly your God's the God of God and the Lord of Lords. Maybe he'll do it. What do you think? Um, but, you know, that's just my, I probably would have been killed. So um, <laughs> here we are, right? We're getting to the challenge to be faithful. We're getting to the challenge to be faithful. And this is where, we're walking into the Romans 125, where are we going to worship the created things or are we going to worship the creator who's forever blessed? Amen. Like, which one is it going to be? Uh, and the challenge has been to put in them. Now, it seems a little silly and ridiculous to us um, as we go through this, especially he says, it's something that I've made and it's something that I've made. He says the made part there uh, in 15 and then he's set up, set up, set up, set up, which has been said, you know, Chapter, or let's see here, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3 twice, verse 5, verse 7, verse 12, verse 14, uh, and even the repetition's intentional. And over and over that has happened up to this point. Dale Ralph Davis, uh, as he's getting to this particular section in his commentary, said, he says, this sums up the theological ascendancy of the whole affair. To worship what is made? This is ridiculous, right? This is completely illogical. Um, so they know who the one true God is. Why would they do that? But it's interesting, then they don't. And so he brings everybody back and he gives them a second chance. Is it true? Like, let me give you, let me give you one more chance to make sure you really hear me. Uh, are you really not going to do this? Uh, so the challenge is set before them. And what are they going to do? Well, we already know. But to be sure, it is a difficult situation. It is a difficult. Um, Nebuchadnezzar's in a furious rage. So he's already been like, made to look silly in front of everybody. He's given them the second chance. And so that can't be pleasant to have 
the strongest person in the world in a furious rage. He's stated that if you don't conform to what I'm saying, I'm going to burn you to death. Everyone's there is watching. We see in verse 2 and 10, as they repeat it all, uh, it's so important that he brought the band. You know, the whole orchestra's there. And the penetrating question, is it true? Which is usually the kind of most atheological question that most, uh, at least people that are hostile to Christianity will ask you. And so, uh, is it true that you really don't want to worship my idol? Is that really true? And this question can take a lot of forms. Uh, Is it true that you really believe that? In our contemporary setting, is it true that you really believe that? Is it true that you really want to do that, etc.? And so the challenge is before them to be faithful, to speak up. What are they going to do? What are they going to say? What, what's going to happen? And so the challenge is for us. The challenge to be faithful is set before us as well. Of course, Christ wants our holiness. Christ um, gives what he demands, praise the Lord. Philippians chapter 3 verse 16, hold true to what you've already attained. Uh, it's, it's been given to you in Christ. You have been given holiness. Therefore, since you have been justified, declared righteous, declared innocent, you can walk in that now by the power of the Spirit, which is amazing news. But the challenge still is set before us. What's going to happen? Jesus wants us to be faithful to him. And so Nebuchadnezzar asks, who's going to deliver you out of my hands? Who's going to deliver you out of my hands? Well, as we've already said, 247. He's probably uh, done it once. Maybe he'll do it again. Truly your God is the God of God and the Lord of Lords, a revealer of mysteries. And so in the face of idolatry for us, when we're looking at this section and the application, uh, in the face of idolatry, we should be faithful. When you take anything that's good, neutral, or even bad, you take any of these things and you make it the most important part of your life and not Christ, it's an idol. And so the challenge for us is to be faithful to Christ and not let things that can be good, bad, or even neutral become the most important things in our life. And so what's going to happen here? Well, go ahead and put up number four is the confession. We've read it. It's the confession. The courage in the fire. They have courage in the fire. This is what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able. That's, if, if you need any verse this week, that's what you need. My God's able. Whatever I'm walking through right now, no matter how difficult it is, two things are going to happen. He's either going to deliver me from it, but even if he doesn't, it's worth it to walk through it anyway because he's going to walk through it with me. My God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. It, and it just means like if... If, if you kill us, we're with him. I'm delivered out of your hands. If you don't kill us, then that means he's delivered me. And he, either way, he's going to deliver me. And then he says this. But if not, death isn't the worst thing that can happen to me. Idolatry is the worst thing that can happen to me. So even if you don't, even if he does not deliver me, be it known to you, king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set it up. So they have major courage. They have the challenge, and now they're going to show their courage. In verse 16 through 18, as I said, it's the center. It's the focus of the chapter. The declaration of the three here um, is what the whole chapter is about. So trials and testing by fire. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
trials and testing. In almost the exact same language, First Peter says, In this rejoice for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold uh, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, Daniel 3, um, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James and Peter writing almost the same thing. It's almost like they have the same author, right? They do. It's the Holy Spirit. So um, the point is, like, whenever you go through trials, whenever you go through tests, uh, you should rejoice because the Lord is walking through that with you. Um, Calvin on trials, he says it this way. John Calvin says, The church of Christ has been so constituted from the beginning that death has been the way to life and the cross the path the victory. Um, the way the church has grown mostly is through martyrs. Whenever we face trials like these guys and we trust in the Lord, no matter what happens, I'm going to trust him. I, he might deliver me or he might not deliver me, but it's been the, the way towards life. It, it's, it's believing in Philippians 1, 21. Like, if I keep living another 20 years, that's great. But if I die today and I have 50 billion years before Jesus, that's even better. <laughs> so either way, it's going to be great. Um, so the three men's statement, as I said, is really beautiful. It starts off with, if this be so, if this be so, um, in verse 17. And it's basically saying, if our God exists, whom we're serving, your God doesn't really exist that you really want me to worship here. But you're asking me, if, who's going to deliver me out of out of your hands, well, our God exists. And so the one that we're serving, he's able to deliver. So I don't want us to miss some stuff here. So first, um, let's not miss the fact that these three didn't have to stop and pray for a while to decide what they were going to do. That's pretty important. They had resolved ahead of time that no matter what was going to happen, they, they were living in such a way that when something like this happens, they knew from the beginning, faced with worship, worshiping an idol, anything other than God, they had wrestled, they had decided, they had lived according to a word that they're going to worship God. So would you be ready? Even, even Luther, even Luther, when confronted with recanting, said, let me take the rest of the night to go and pray and think, and I'll come back and I'll tell you tomorrow. Um, these guys, no. They knew right then. We're not going to do it. Um, Will, be, will we be ready for these kinds of moments in our lives? When confronted with idolatry, when confronted with um, you know, something like this, will we be able to do that? Some things that we can know that kept them uh, strong and helped them be able to make the right decision is, one, they trusted in a sovereign God. They knew that God had put them there. Th these are things that help you in the moment, not need to, you know, I don't know whether I should do this or not. They trusted in a sovereign God. They knew that God had put them there. Number two, they knew the scriptures. They knew the first commandment and they knew that they had to obey God's word and they were willing to die for Jesus and their convictions. Um, they really believed Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so they walked into this moment knowing all those three things. When you're walking through life, trust in a sovereign God, know the scriptures and be willing to die for Jesus. That's the way that we should live so that there's no like, oh, I deliberate. We could go back to the thing. Well, if we just do this, we can have more influence with all these people. We won't really mean it in our heart, but we'll, we'll, we'll stay alive and we'll be here longer. And maybe we can see more people get, uh, you know, get saved or come to know Christ. Second thing is not only did they answer right away, um, 
They did not know what God was going to do. They just knew that he was able to deliver them. And that's all they needed. I don't know what God's going to do. Um, And if God doesn't deliver, they had resolved that they weren't going to break the first commandment. So what matters, this is key, is not deliverance necessarily. It was obedience. We're going to obey. If the Lord delivers us, great. If he doesn't, well, he's ultimately delivered us anyway because we're going to go to heaven. But obedience is what mattered. What mattered was not security, but worship. Over and over, are you going to fall down and worship? 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 Well, not, not your God. We're going, to worship, we're going to worship God. So their faith knew the power of God, and because they knew he was able, um, it guarded the freedom of God. But if not, if God can save us or not, so God's still free to do what he wants. And it held true to the truth of God. They said, we're not going to serve your gods. One commentator says it this way. There are some in our day, however, who would not be entirely happy with this faith. In their view, faith involves being uh, more sure about God's ways. Their kind of faith is allergic to any uncertainty about details. If they could rewrite the chapter, they would have the friends declare, Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to call down God's deliverance. We, O king, are going to bond the fire. But Bible faith does not do that. Faith does not predict God's ways. It simply holds to God's word. It's not required to plot God's course, but just to obey God's command. Faith's finest hour may be when we can oppose Nebuchadnezzar's three words, burning fiery furnace, with a bit of our own, but if not. And so they don't say, I am going to force God's hand here to Nebuchadnezzar and say, God's going to snuff out the fire. Watch. They just say, we're going to trust the Lord. So as followers of Jesus, we worship God, we trust in his purposes for our life, and we trust him in our life. We don't force God's hand into things. That's not the kind of faith that he's calling us to do. And if you remember, it's a miracle either way. One, one commentator says it this way. Um, uh, his name's Walt, Walter Luthi. He says, there are three men who did not worship God in Nebuchadnezzar's totalitarian state. Is a, that there are three men who don't worship God in Nebuchadnezzar's totalitarian state is a miracle of God. The miracle of the confessing church, that there were three not devoured by the fire, is no greater miracle. Suppose the fiery furnace had consumed them. The real miracle would still be the same. The fact that they weren't going to worship uh, and fall down. So the application for us then is to trust and obey him. Believe what God has for us, that it's good. Whether we like what's happening in our lives or not, uh, we still are called to obey. We're still called to obey. So in the face of idolatry, know our hearts, know the key uh, that it's not anything that we do, that it's about Christ and we're going to obey Christ. Be confident in the power of God that he's given to us in any kind of trials. Be submissive to God to face any kind of trial and say, "No, no matter what comes, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to obey him. That's the thing that we see here is courage. Whenever something comes, I'm going to obey him. Now we're going to go kind of back down the mountain here, starting in verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, is still filled with fury, uh, especially at this second chance he gave them to where they're they're like, no, I'm not going to do it. You can go ahead and put up the next one. Um, Punishment is coming now. Confidence in the Lord is what they have, though. This is where it gets pretty awesome. Uh, The pre-incarnate Christ that appears, which that's what I think it is. Um, then Nebuchadnezzar filled with fury and the expression on his face was changed against Shadmach, Reshach, and Abednego. Can you imagine that? Like he's, he's already filled with fury. They say no, and it says he's even filled with more fury. And then the countenance of his face turns to angry. I don't know what yours looks like. 
Like he must have been like really, really mad. It's so much so that, that the writer even makes note of the countenance shifts to like super mad angry face. Uh, and then verse 20, and he ordered some of the mighty men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fire furnace. These men were bound um, in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fire furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated. The flame killed those men and took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the burning fiery furnace. And so, uh, they have confidence. He's filled with fury. Uh, and so it's very, very, very angry. And now it's very, very, very hot. And so uh, he's so angry, no doubt, uh, that he, he did, heats it up seven more times normal than hotter, or n- normal than regular. Uh, and there's, because we see this, um, what are they going to do here? Like they're thinking, okay, we've already made this statement. He's even more angry. He's made it seven times hotter this is the time to where we can be like, okay, okay, we're just kidding, king. We're going to change our mind. But they don't do that. They put their confidence in the Lord and say, we're standing on what God's going to do here. No matter what the circumstances, even though they look even worse now, we're not going to, we're not going to worship your God. Adonira Johnson says, how great are my obligations of him and to suffer for him. But in myself, I am absolute nothingness. So shall we be in heaven? Oh, let us live then as we wish we had done. Uh, so, the way that you want to live, he's saying, it's a privilege to spend and be spent for Christ. And so I'm going to put my confidence in the Lord. No matter what the circumstances are around me, I'm not going to fear man. I'm going to fear God. That's what was said of John Knox at his funeral. It said, he feared the face of no man because he had learned to live in the fear of the Lord. Um, so no matter what, how dire these circumstances are, their confidence is in the Lord. That's what we should do as well. We should have our confidence totally in Christ. And now we get to something pretty awesome. All right, so the, the deliverance comes. You can go ahead and put it up. Deliverance is uh, Christ the deliverer. Now, you're going to say, why do you say Christ? Well, let's look at it, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. So if you look at verse 25, there at the very end, uh, you probably know the story. They throw the three in, and then the king's like, Hey, you said that there were three of them. There's like a fourth guy in there. Who's the fourth guy? Uh, did we burn four people? Uh, so it says, but I see, well, go to verse 24. And the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, I cast three bound into the fire. But he said to the king, true, O king. And he, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. So this is how Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, tries to describe what he's seeing. And I see something like the, like the son of the gods in there. And in verse 28, he's even going to give another description. He's like, basically in verse 28, he says an angel is in there. Um, if I can find that little 2-8. There we are. Nebuchadnezzar answered, uh, blessed be the Lord of Shadnach. His angel has delivered his servants. So this, this is the way the pagan king tries to describe, like is an angel or uh, someone who's like the sons of, the, of God. Now, I think that this is a Christophany. Uh, granted, it's the pagan king trying to describe what he's seeing. Uh, and so he uses this like the sons of God or uh, an angel. But this is likely, and I firmly believe, most commentators lean this way. They're Christian commentators, so why wouldn't they? But this is uh, the second person of the Trinity. Uh, he's not, I guess he's not Jesus technically yet because he hasn't been born. So, uh, but there are times where there's a Christophany, uh, an appearance of the second pre- preincarnate Christ that happens uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. 
Uh, and so I think this is what's going on here. And of course, uh, it makes sense when we'll get into how does this point us to Christ. It makes sense that it does. Um, but the fire didn't have any uh, power over their bodies is how it says it in verse 27. The fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. And so uh, verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out with the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, all the people were there. And they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of the men. Their hair wasn't singed. Their cloaks weren't harmed. And no smell of the fire even come upon them. Like, you know, when you have a campfire in your backyard, and you're like, oh man, I stink, I gotta take a shower. Uh, like, they didn't even have that on them. They didn't even smell like fire, uh, which is simply amazing. So what do we see here? We see Christ the deliverer in the fire with them. So what is this, what is this teaching us? Um, the trials that we're going through, Christ can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, it still means that he's going to walk through it with us. He's in there with them. He doesn't just snuff it out. He walks into the fire with them and he's with them. That's the whole point that I think he's trying to point us to is we understand that Christ the deliverer here in Daniel 3, that's not the norm. Jesus doesn't always keep people from harm in their lives but, and he doesn't necessarily owe us to keep us away from pain. But what he does promise is that he's going to walk through it with us. That's what he's doing with them. Uh, Dale Rife Davis says, Christ did not keep them out of the furnace, but found them in it. He does not always shield you from all the distresses and dangers, uh, but is in the loneliness, in the betrayal, in the loss that the fourth man comes and walks with you. He has the knack of both exposing you to, yet keeping you through waters and rivers and fire and operating rooms and funeral parlors and an empty house. The fourth man can always find his people. So whatever you're going through, know that this text is pointing us to Christ the deliverer. So if he, even if he doesn't deliver from the trial, we can rejoice that he's going to walk through the trial with us. And who else would you want besides Christ? Who else would you want? So don't compromise in trials. Declare in your mind, there is a real Savior, and his name is Jesus. Shout it out to the world that I'm going to prize Christ above anything else. I'm going to walk this race, and I'm going to, at the end of my lives, be spent for him. I'm going to run this race well because he's infinitely better than anything else in this world has to offer. And so, ultimately, Christ is the deliverer from the fiery furnace. For them and for us, Christ does deliver his, fire, his followers, that's us, from the fiery furnace of hell. Because he walked into it for us and took it for us on our behalf. And he delivers um, us as well as them. He does this for us by dying on the cross in our place, kills sin, defeats Satan's sin and death. And Christ saves us now. The law brought death to us because we couldn't keep it. And now Christ brings life to us. The law condemns us into the fiery furnace. Jesus Christ delivers us from the fiery furnace. Praise the Lord for the good news of the gospel. And so here we see in this penultimate section that Christ is the deliverer. Well, now the king's astonished. And he's going to make another decree, command. That brings us to our last little section here, starting at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
who has sent his angel to deliver his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Therefore, this is amazing, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks, any, that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin. This dude loves to tell people for limb from limb. He did that in two, if you remember. If anybody can't interpret my dream, I'm going to tear them limb from limb and burn their house down. Well, back to that again. Um, and then it says, for there is no God who is able to rescue in this way. Isn't that amazing? Hear that again. Verse 29. Therefore, I make this decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this raid. Juxtapose that back to 4. Chapter Chapter 3, verse 4. And Harold proclaimed, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and language, when you hear the sound of the, the hornpipe lyre, that you're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship it will be cast into the burning fiery furnace. I mean, the one king's command declaration to the other is it's amazingly different, right? Now, not converted. Not converted. Still, chapter 4 will make this... Uh, clear that even this short-lived right declaration of theology is, in fact, short-lived. Um, but uh, there's a turnaround, which is astounding. And he goes from decreeing idolatry to decreeing worship of the only true God. Uh, finally, with right theology, which, as I said, is short-lived. But notice some of the things that he does. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 28, he blesses God. In verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be God. He also uh, delivers the servants in verse 28. Uh, the three now have trusted God and he declares that this was right. And he also gives them protection. If any people speak against them, then this is what will happen. And then he says, there's no other God that can rescue in this way. Answering his own question, who's going to deliver you? Well, end of the chapter again, you realize you know who's going to do it. And so this is just a pagan king saying these things. Um, I believe that all of us really want to know Jesus in this way as well. Blessing God, knowing that he can deliver us, trusting him and knowing that it is right. Because he gives us protection and declaring that there's no other person that can rescue us like him. This is a pagan king declaring this. How much more should his children who know him live in according to those things? Charles Spurgeon says, Beloved, you must go into the fiery furnace if you would have the nearest and dearest dealings with Jesus Christ. Meaning, if you're in Christ... You have, Christ, you have Jesus, and walking through any kind of difficult trial is possible because you have Christ. And so you can live blessing the Lord, knowing that he will deliver you either, he'll deliver you right now or ultimately. He'll deliver you either way. You can trust him. You can know that trusting him is right, that he uh, gives you protections in some way, and that there's no other God that can rescue him. And so when you walk through the fiery furnace, you can assure that Jesus is literally waiting there for you before you go into it. The fire that Nebuchadnezzar intended to persecute actually served to bring glory to God. That's pretty ironic. And so for us, when we look at this last section, the the application is just pretty simple. Um, Jesus is our rescuer. No idol, no one, nothing else. Jesus is our rescuer. And so we live like that's true. So how does Daniel 3 point us to Jesus? Um, Just a couple ways I want to point out, and then we're going to go to the conclusion. Nebuchadnezzar 
looked into the furnace and he saw this fourth man. Who's this fourth man? As I said, this was Jesus delivering the three. And just as Jesus delivers them from the fiery furnace, he also delivers us from the fiery furnace of hell. The one that walked with them and uh, with them and through the fire with them was the one that walked through the fires of hell on our behalf. And he died for us on the cross, enduring the wrath and all the fury. We have this king's fury. He endured all the wrath of Father God that was intended for us. This is what propitiation means. He was the propitiation for us. And he endured the wrath of God the Father on the cross. And so we can be set free. So conclusion, when confronted with any kind of idolatry, when criticized by the world, decide that um, this is going to be a challenge for you to be faithful and that you're going to stay faithful to Christ. Put all of your confidence in the Lord. Christ is the only deliverer that we have. Christ is the only rescuer that we have. We have nowhere else to go. Confess these things to others so that they can also believe in Christ. Psalm 66, verses 10 through 12 says, For you, O God, you have tested us. You have tried us as as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads when we went through the fire and through water. Yet, you have brought us out into a place of abundance. This is what Christ has done for us. Sin was strong. Jesus was stronger. And now, we've been rescued and delivered because of the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love, your mercy that you've given to us in Christ. We thank you that in the midst of trials, you're there to walk with us um, through difficult times as our Savior, um, as the only one that we can believe in and trust and hold, hold on to. But in the biggest trial, namely our sin, uh, you walked into the fiery furnace and delivered us from that. You... Uh, took on the full wrath of God the Father for us. You took our place. You substituted yourself. Um, And if we believe in you, if we trust in you, now we can be saved forever. And we thank you for that. We thank you how um, this chapter ultimately points us to you and that um, we can find salvation in you. I pray that as we walk through any kind of difficult circumstance, Lord, that you uh, you would walk through it with us, that you would guide us, and that we would lean into you um, and not seek out help anywhere else, but only in you, because there is no help in anywhere else besides you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.